0: I'm really excited about this morning because we get to hear a report from a family that has been an amazing example of continually stepping into an opportunity that God is opening up for them and being faithful to that task. So I'm going to invite Kevin and Sue Drieger up, and they are going to share some of their experiences and reflections coming out of their recent trip. I don't even want to spoil it for people who don't know where he went, so make sure you mention that. I'll tell them. Good morning, everyone. Um, as I'm sure most of you know, we spent six weeks this year in Guatemala, and uh, took our family down. Lucas came back a little early, but we were down there for for that long. And before we say any more about that, just want to thank everyone for your prayers. Uh, I know Jeff mentioned it a number of times while we were gone, and and we did feel a lot of support coming from from our church community. So thank you for that just waiting for, for Justin to uh, get the, s- the slide up, but I'll maybe I'll start talking. So we didn't take a lot of vacation or side trips or things like that. We were pretty busy. But one of the things we did do that was pretty fun is we had the opportunity to climb uh, an active volcano. And I, I enjoy the backcountry country and, and climbing mountains and things like that, but this was completely new to us. And we, uh, we did it overnight. And so we got up. Uh, we got up there at, uh, what, two in the morning? And we started, we started climbing. (coughs) And it was, it was fascinating because it's pitch dark out there, except that there's this, you know, erupting cone in this lava river, and you're just drawn to it like a fly to a bug zapper, and all all the way up this mountain. Uh, But before we were going, um, they sent us a note and and said, you know, when we go up there, we're going to be doing these things. And it's all written in Spanish. And my my Spanish is a little bit weak. And it said we'd be uh, roasting uh, angelitos. And I'll have to pause because I need to show you what this is. Okay. So, you know, there, you know, there's going to be a lot of pictures, and so it might be best if we, uh, it, 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 it's not going at all, eh? It's not okay. Okay, fair enough. So, we were told we were going to be roasting angelitos, and I didn't know what this was, and... and I'm sure Rick does or someone who speaks Spanish. So I go to my little Spanish app and what's, what's an angelito? Well, it comes up little angel. It's like, that, That's odd. I mean, Guatemala is an interesting culture with interesting customs, but that's odd. M- maybe there's another definition available. A- and, and the next one that came up was dead child. And, and this this was kind of disturbing. Now, that those were the only two options in my app. Now, R- Rick, what is an angelito? Yeah, no, no, no. but. <laughs> but if someone said you were roasting these things, would you know what they meant? No, okay, well, we found out it was marshmallows, so <laughs> we, we, uh, wasn't so crazy after all. So, you know, th- where, where did we go? we we've talked about going to Guatemala. Where is Guatemala? Oh, there's a picture of us up there. Guatemala is in Central America. It's the first country south of Mexico beside Belize. And we were in the town of Panahashel, which is right here on the shore of Lake Atitlan. And Lake Atitlan is spectacular. It's just one of the most beautiful places you can imagine. This is a shot of the city over the lake. That is Chris Weens. for those of you who remember him. He was our associate pastor here a number of years ago. We were down there working with Chris and his family and another couple. And there's another... Another picture overlooking the lake. So what were we doing down there? We were part of a program that was started by this couple, Gregorio and Candelaria, um, a number of years ago. It's a scholarship program. These people are Mayan. And the Mayan community in Guatemala is the majority of the population. But across the board, they're extremely poor. they're not really part of the dominant culture which is Hispanic and their culture, it does not emphasize education, doesn't emphasize, you know, bettering yourself and the vast majority of Mayan people are stuck in in grinding poverty. They have a future ahead of them which is very low paid menial labor, farming corn, um, making tortillas or some other uh, low end job that consigns them to a future of poverty uh, and their generations uh, moving forward to poverty. Gregorio and Candelaria started a Spanish school and they managed to make a little bit of money and kind of pull themselves above that and they really had a burden to give back to their communities and so they started a scholarship program that brought students in to show them a better way. So what does that scholarship program do? Well, for one thing, it helps students pay for high school. Um, In most cases, uh, high school is not free. Mayan people don't prioritize education. And even if they did, they don't have the money to to pay for it anyway. So together with some North American donors, they provide scholarships for high school. Uh, Second thing they do is they give tutorials. Throughout the whole year, they bring these kids in on weekends and give them additional education. Everything from academic to life skills to supplementary English. And then in the fall, or I guess what's our winter, during their their school break, which is November, December, they have an an immersive two-month English program. In exchange, these students are expected to give back to their communities. So every Saturday morning, they need to go and teach tutorials in their home communities to the younger generation. The students also need to focus on their studies, they have to maintain their grades. They cannot have a boyfriend or girlfriend during this time because that would be a distraction. You do that, you're out of the program. And mo- possibly most importantly, they have to have the right attitude. You know, pretty much every student we met has just a, a horrible backstory. story. Um, the, the, the stories they tell are, are tragic. But they have to be able to recognize, yes, this was bad, but I'm going to move past this. I'm not going to wallow in the the very, very real horrible life I've had. I have to look forward and and push myself forward and not allow that to hold me back. So how are these students chosen? Um, They have to have 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 need, which is pretty much all the Mayans. Uh, They need to have really good marks. That's easy to see in school. Uh, but they need to have the right character. And that's a really difficult thing to select. Um, that is where Gregorio and Candelaria are the the linchpin to this program because they know the families, they know the communities, they're able to identify those students who have what it takes to do what no one in their families have ever done, which is push forward with education and learning, you know, English to better themselves. Um, you know, there's a lot of North Americans involved in this program and there have been times where someone has come down and said, hey, I love this kid. They're, they've got what it takes and they even pay for this kid to be part of the program. In, in almost every case, those kids have not made it because they weren't the right person. And so Gregorio and Candelaria know the culture, know the people. They're, they're the ones who are able to make the right decisions who, who gets to be part of it. So at English House, I'm coming to you in a minute, Sue. Okay. <laughs> at English House, which is the two-month immersion that, that we were part of, um, there's a little facility that is fairly new, it's actually quite beautiful. It's got about 12 to 15 rooms where the students and the leaders and the visitors come. There are cooking facilities, there's places to teach under a little patio there. Um, there's kind of a picture looking out, it's hard to see from here but this is this is our um, little apartment with Sue doing her, uh, her studying there. And this is where the kids stay over the course of the week and then they go home on the weekends to their families to work, to teach tutorials and um, but during the regular part of the week we're all there. So I'm going to pass it over to Sue who's going to describe what a typical day looks like at English House.
1: we
0: yeah, got point it over, it, over, it, over, there.
1: It over there. Okay. All right. We'll get the technology figured out. Okay. So I'm going to describe to you what happened on a typical day. So we started each day with devotions and singing some worship songs, and then we split the 33 kids we had into five. Five levels of English, sorry, I want to see you above my glasses, but need to be able to read. Um, And so levels one and two were taught by the people who originally started this English house. So as Kevin was saying, Gregorio and Candelaria, they started the whole program, which was called Formata Mi Mañana, I think, close enough. And and the English house part is the two-month November and December um, uh, just English where uh, the kids use their summer holidays to do that. And that was started by this couple here, Dave and Danae McDonald from Abbotsford. So they taught the levels one and two of English, of the five levels that we had. And the reason for that is because they have, over the six years they've done this, developed their Spanish to a point where they can, um, they're quite fluent. So, when the kids start at English House, their mother tongue is called Quechacal, that's um, what they they speak in their communities, and their schooling has been in Spanish. So, they know Spanish, but it's not that strong. So, um, these people are really helpful to be able to know enough Spanish, uh, lots of Spanish, in order to bridge the gap to teach the kids English. So, levels one and two focus heavily on vocabulary, The students make English-Spanish flashcards with all the new words that they learn, and they study them a lot in the evenings. And um, the one other thing about Dave and Denea is that in addition to being able to teach English, and just as important in this case, is that they're amazing at teaching the kids that they have value and worth. And this is something that many of them have not learned from home especially because they have large families and the girls are treated like a burden to the family. So Kevin and I found our niche teaching the higher levels of English um, because our Spanish was pretty limited. And I mostly taught level three, so this is my class, and Kevin, together with Chris Weens, taught levels four and five. Laura Weens, she was our backup teacher, and she helped whenever Kevin had a conference call for work or whenever someone was sick, something like that. So you need to take a step back for a second here and understand. I am an accountant, I'm not a teacher. And I'm especially not an English teacher. <laughs> and also, as some of you may remember, last year we went for two weeks to English House just as visitors. And at that time, of our family, I was probably the most terrified to go. Uh, Not because I was worried about traveling to a third world country. I love to travel. That's not a big deal. But I was thinking, what if I don't connect with these kids? And more importantly, what in the world am I going to do there? What use can I be? I could not see my role for two weeks. But God knew why he had me there. I sat and had conversations with many of the students, especially over suppers and in the evenings. And I sat in on all the levels of English training so that I could see what was going on and what levels these kids were at. I had no idea that this was actually preparation for me. I had no idea that we would be going back. But God knew. So something to keep in mind whenever God has you in a situation which makes no sense to you, who knows what he could be preparing you for. So I taught level three, and that's not to say that I just opened up some curriculum and taught. I didn't have any curriculum, so I had to create my own. So I went online to an ESL site, I clicked on intermediate, and tried to figure out what to teach at an intermediate level. Then I had to learn it myself before I could teach it. For example, For example, did you know that English has 12 tenses, verb tenses? I didn't. Do you know when we use I was and when we use I have been? I didn't. So I had to learn it before I could teach it. Our class learned to speak English confidently, read fluently, and get more practice in writing. Our class gave tours to visitors, read short stories, interviewed people, and wrote their stories, and prepared for a live debate with each other. And this is the girls against the boys, (laughs) which was good motivation to speak very clearly and persuasively in English. And they were debating whether English House should be held solely in English with no other language being allowed, or whether English House should permit Spanish and Cactical to be spoken. And it was fun to hear their opinions. complete with, um, uh, like, all the the structure of a debate. So, by levels four and five, which Kevin taught, we were already preparing the students for either higher education or working in English in a business environment. So, Kevin found a curriculum to teach from what's called the English Academic Word List. Words that we don't ordinarily use in conversation but words that are commonly used in business and higher education. So they might be words like align, mitigate, dissect, standardize. And the material was definitely challenging for the kids. But they rose to the challenge and worked really hard. In fact, one week we missed an English class, so Kevin offered to make it up by teaching it in the evening, and they all wanted to do it, three hours. In comparison, In Canada, our kids have so many opportunities. If they miss one, there's often another opportunity that comes along. For these kids, though, this is their one big opportunity. Having English is their ticket and their only ticket to a job that can lift their families out of poverty. In the afternoon after lunch, we had Bible classes taught by Kevin and Chris. This is Kevin being Goliath. We played soccer once a week, and we had some less formal sessions um, in small groups where the kids could choose sessions that interested them from among a list. It was all still in English, but with the older students translating to Spanish for the younger students. In their homes, families, oh, there's just another picture of our small group doing Arduino. In their homes, families don't have ovens, which is interesting. They use only wood-fired stovetops. So the concept of baking is new to the kids. And the concept of following a recipe is new to the kids. So here's Julia teaching a small group session on baking chocolate chip cookies, something they've never had before. There they are making them. There's Laura, for those of you who remember her One afternoon, for one of the optional sessions, I taught a two-hour class on heaven to eight students. Thankfully, Jeff scanned and sent me several chapters of one of his books, so I knew what I was talking about. Um, We spent two hours flipping through our Bibles, looking at passage after passage that talks about heaven, and took notes on what it says. The class was actually only supposed to be one hour long, so I thought I'd really overdone it. So I offered them that we could stop after the hour so they could switch to another session that would interest them, but no one wanted to leave. Then, the next week, I taught it again as an optional session because there was still interest. This time, I announced that it would be two hours long, and among the eight students I got was one 13-year-old boy who came to sit through the whole thing again. Their hunger for the Bible is huge. In some of their families, you may remember this is the first generation that can read and write. As we came closer to Christmas, we wanted to make Christmas cookies one afternoon because this was something none of them had done before. And since no one uses an oven, it occurred to us that a rolling pin is not a standard kitchen utensil. So since our building was still under construction, I climbed up on the roof and found a piece of PVC PVC pipe, cleaned it off, and voila, a rolling pin. Here we are making Christmas cookies. Evening started with some good conversations over supper. Then we mostly spent time practicing flashcards, studying, reading books in English, and playing some games when the kids needed a rest from studying. Lucas got to introduce spike ball to them. Then evenings ended the way that mornings began, with hugs all around. And some of the kids needed a little help to uh, be able to reach Kevin for this. (laughs) Do you want me to do the next section? The kids. Okay. All right. That's the end of our day. But I wanted to address one other thing. People often ask, "What did your kids do there?" And so I wanted to answer that question. Well, they juggled their time between keeping up their schoolwork and being involved in whatever was going on, be that making tortillas to celebrating high school graduations. Lucas spent a number of mornings helping our cook prepare lunch, and he became quite the guacamole expert with our cook. Julia sat in on English classes uh, in the mornings and used that as a way to learn Spanish. So she made English-Spanish flashcards too and just learned the Spanish that way. She also helped teach a few classes and she even taught one all on her own. Lucas took Spanish lessons at the local Spanish school. They both spent time practicing flashcards with the students in the evenings. And since they were the oldest of the foreign kids there, the other two families were really thankful when our kids spent time with their kids. I don't think they would say they had any time to get bored. And they came away having made some really good friendships. In fact, Julia has told them all that she's coming back next year.
0: So, um, one of the questions that we sometimes get to, or what what were the highlights? What were the parts of your trip that really stood out? And I think I can speak for both of us when I say that the biggest highlight was just getting to know the students. Um, you know, you're there for six weeks. It's really intensive. You're going from morning until night. It's like it's like camp. Um, you're, you're constantly on and you're constantly interacting with these kids and with that comes uh, a deepening of relationship, of familiarity and they trust you, they, they begin to trust you to the point where they will talk to you and tell you their stories and tell you the deep things that that have happened in their lives and that's a that's an amazing experience. You, you develop a love for the kids that you didn't think that could exist. You know every kid has a story um, and and most of the time they're absolutely terrible. For some they have never been around healthy um, functioning families before other than English House. Most of them have fathers who are either alcoholics or absent or abusive or or worse. And so they value the connections that that they can have with um, those of us who are there who can show them that, no, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, uh, building relationships through teaching was, was great too. You, you know, I, I'm not a teacher by trade either, but when you've got students um, who are bright, keen, enthusiastic, and just desperate to learn more, it makes it pretty easy. Like that, that's about as, as, as good as it gets. It, it made every morning fun to spend three hours teaching. It was fun. And I guess the other thing I would say is seeing their faith in God. um, You know, in James, it tells us not to make plans for the future, but to say, if it's God's will, I will do this. And, and you know, I've known people in our society who who say that as a force of habit. Well, if it's God's will, I'm going to the store tomorrow or whatnot. And it's almost done as a perfunctory, you know, well, this is what the Bible says, therefore I'm going to say it they say it in a different way. They say it knowing deprivation, knowing that many of their dreams have fallen through, knowing that there's a hundred reasons why this dream might not happen. When they say, if it's God's will, this is going to happen, they really know that God carries this, and it might not, and yet they're still trusting in him, and that's something that we don't see because we're not used to deprivation. We don't know what it's like to miss a meal because we don't have enough money to buy a dollar's worth of tortillas. They do. And that, 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 that was, that was impacting. Okay.
1: Um, this is Andrea. Um, I just want to agree with Kevin that it was such an honor to teach these kids, but even more specifically to teach them about God. And in fact, when we were leaving and saying all of our tearful goodbyes, one after the other, the kids said to us, thank you so much for teaching us about the Bible. So they know that English is their ticket out of poverty. And yet what they were thanking us for was for teaching them about God. It was really amazing. So Andrea, one evening, she came to me and she said, Can I read you my story that I wrote today? I want you to hear it because you're part of it. So there's her story there, and I want to read you what she wrote. I love to express myself with music because some music has my story and shows how others have conquered, and this encourages me to be brave. I wish I could share it with my friends. Also, I wish to know more music in English House. The last year, I didn't know anything about God. I only knew that he existed, but I didn't know his love. The last year, I got to know a lot about God. And today, I feel very good because the last year, I started to believe in his word. And yes, if God exists, now God lives in my heart. Thank you, Danea and Dave, for teaching me about God. This year, I had many problems in the school and more in my family. With faith in God, now we live better. Thank you to all for helping me believe in God. Such an honor to be part of. As Kevin mentioned, the students lived with us from Monday to Friday, and most of them go home on the weekends. They only don't go home if there isn't enough food um, in their family, and then they are encouraged to stay with us. But most Fridays, we would take some of the students home. So this is one of the methods of normal transportation over there, called a fleta. No, nobody sits down, Um, (laughs) and we would go meet their families. And although most parents really value the fact that their kids are learning English, on weeks when there's little food, some really wish that their kids were home to earn money so that the family could have some more to eat that week. And in fact, each Monday, some of, some of our students would come back crying because of the backlash they received on the weekends from some members of their family about how they were not contributing and they were just hanging out with rich white folks when they could be working. So one of our roles is to get to know the families personally and, um, and to tell them how their child is doing in learning English and to remind them really of the long-range view that English does have a lot of, um, po- open opens a lot of possibilities for their kids. Some of the homes are made of c- cement block. Some of them are made of with mud on a bamboo frame. Many have dirt floors and roofs that leak, all have outhouses. There's no indoor toilets, but for me, the home visits and getting to meet the families were some of the real highlights of the week. We got to see their weaving, meet their little brothers and sisters. Here, they've dressed me up in one of their typical outfits. Here, Kevin's learning to weave and discovering it's a little bit more challenging than it looks. Here, I'm learning to grind corn with the resulting tortillas. Oops. We got our baby fixes and our puppy fixes. We got to meet this girl's dad, which we didn't get to meet a lot of the dads. And we played soccer in the field next door. And sometimes we got invited for dinner, which was a really special event because this family is serving us chicken. The, the lady in the foreground is the mom. Um, She had her daughter when she was 15, common age to get married over there is 13 for the girls. um, And so she's a single mom, they don't have a lot of money. So for the fact that they were serving us chicken was pretty honoring to us because that's not their standard fare.
0: Another one of the highlights was seeing um, the students graduate. You know, again, to emphasize that a lot of these students are the first ones in their extended family ever to have finished high school. And so here's a picture of one of our students, and she's graduating, and I want to point something out to you. She's wearing gloves. None of the other grads wear gloves, and so why is she wearing gloves? Because the student with the top marks in your graduating class Carries a flag, and she finished at the top of her graduating class, carrying the flag across the stage. That's a huge accomplishment. This is the graduating class of UVG, which is a big, private school, best school in the province. It's mostly expatriates and uh, Hispanic students. There's not a lot of Mayan students in this in this class. Ninety-five graduates. And you can't see them, but three of our students are in that group. All three were in the top ten. Two of them were in the top five of this whole cohort. That's encouraging. Which brings a question, what's next? Graduating high school is great, but that doesn't get you the kind of job that you need uh, to, to move forward. There are two options that have come to light in the last couple of years. One is a company in Antigua, which is a city uh, in Guatemala. It's called Torrent. And Torrent provides c- uh, cloud-based software consulting for North American companies. And a number of our students have, of uh, previous graduates, have got on with Torrent and they're working, providing service to companies like GM and United Health as business analysts. That's a good job. Another one is TELUS. Um, You think, well, TELUS, that's our BC phone provider. Yeah, and TELUS has got a building in Guatemala City with 5,000 employees. They run call centers for many other big companies you might have heard of like Google and Western Union. And call center, that that sounds like not much of a job. Well, first of all, it is a great job. You have to know English. And with 5,000 employees, the opportunity for advancement is huge. So these are good opportunities that having been said they're not for all the students. And so I want to go back to this picture here that I think Sue showed earlier. In that picture is a student named Vilma and her story I won't go into but it's it's incredible what she has done to persevere to get where she is now. She received a scholarship to attend med school. And so in a few years, she's going to graduate as a doctor. Think of what that's going to do to her family and her whole community. And this is a picture of two students that, Angela and Tomasa, that we are trying to bring here. Uh, Why here? Because Selkirk College offers uh, an excellent business administration program that is very tuned to international students and so the goal is for them to come here and study and get their business admin d- diploma which would give them skills both in English and business which would um, position them very well for excellent careers in Guatemala. They have applied at Selkirk College, they have been accepted, we've had letters of recommendation from Selkirk College. What we're missing is a visa and so that's in process right now. We've applied to the government for a visa, it's not a given that they're going to get it. Um, Many students apply, not all get it from poorer countries, but it's something we're continuing to pray about. Um, If it does happen, if they do get their visa, we will be hosting them, um, but the costs associated with uh, Selkirk College, if you're an out-of-country student, are high. They're about $12,000 per student per year, and we've received some interest in people helping fund that, Uh, but we're continuing to, um, you know, to raise money for that. So I will put in a little plug. If that's something which, you know, God puts on your heart, that you would like to be more involved in helping these students at Selkirk College or helping English House in general, uh, please talk to us. We're happy to show you how to get involved. And so the end result, uh, this is a picture of students from about five years ago, okay? The range of ages here is about 15 to 17. Alvaro, uh, when he was younger, I forget how old he was, his father was murdered. And a couple years later, his mom died uh, because they didn't have the $20 dollars they needed for a round of antibiotics. He was left an orphan with his brothers. One of the girls in there, um, she was molested when she was about 12 years old, gave birth to a son who had terrible um, birth defects. Uh, she looked after him for f- four y- For about four years. but she continued her studies. The end result right now, Alvaro, Lydia, Evelyn, they work at Torrent. They're anal- uh, Alvaro is a database administrator. The other girls are analysts. They support North American companies. Donas is a teacher. Myra and Tono at the back, they received full ride scholarships at John Brown University. Florinda in the front is a translator, Spanish language instructor. She's getting her accounting degree. That's where this ends. So, past 11, and I've got way too many things to say here, so I'm going to have to cut this a little bit short. I'm going to say very briefly that another highlight, it's hard to top that, but another highlight for me was teaching Bible to the kids. You know, they're around us all day long, and at the end of the day, sometimes you say, hey, what was your favorite part of the day? And so often, they would say Bible class. Seriously, I mean, this is a Christian culture, a Christian culture, where um, every little bus or taxi has a Christian slogan across it, and yes, it's a Christian culture, but they want to know, they want to know the truth. What does the Bible really say? Not what the cultural Christianity is, but what does the Bible really say? How do we live for Christ? How do we put our faith in him? And it was a pleasure to be able to help with that, with, with Chris and myself. Of the one of the things that I, I said to Jeff was I was going to take this um, Guatemala presentation and tie it in with Genesis 5. And you might legitimately say, how? Genesis 5 is a list of genealogies before the flood, the list from, from Noah to, uh, uh, sorry, from Adam to Noah. And I don't have enough time to go through it. And so, I'm going to jump to the end here. In that genealogy, which um, I'll let you read on your own, there's a lot of repetition. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father. After he became the father, he had other sons. Altogether, he lived this long. It repeats the same thing over and over and over again. He lived, he had sons, he died. He lived, he had sons, he has died. We don't know anything about these guys. We don't know if they were good or bad. Methuselah is famous because he was the oldest, but you know what year he died? It's when the flood came. Was he a godly man? We don't know. But there's one person that we know a little bit more about. We know about Enoch. Enoch walked faithfully with God. He's the only person in this list, other than Adam and Noah, that is even mentioned again in the Bible outside of a genealogy is Enoch. He didn't just live and die. Live and die is a very neutral thing. Animals live, have children, and die. This says he walked with God. He had a relationship with God. That's a very common expression in the ancient Near East. He walked with God. The only other person in our Bible that was said to have walked with God was Noah. It means an intimacy. It means a connection where his priorities are following God. And I guess I would say despite or in addition to all the English we taught and the Bible theory, one of the things we really, really tried to teach our students was what does it look like to walk with God? I hope that our lives we led when we were there contributed to that and not took away from it because that was our goal. So I'm going to close in prayer here. If I can find my sheet. Yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have taught us about the men and women who lived for you, like Enoch, thank you that Enoch set the example of walking by faith with you and that he pleased you. May you give us the courage that we need to focus on you and to make knowing you our top, top priority. And teach us to faithfully walk with you. Amen.